Hello and welcome to Her Moment in History. I'm Michelle. And I'm Grace. This week is about Gibraltar. Yes, because <laughs> what it, we decided to do episodes themed on places where we have a lot of listeners. Yes. We don't have a huge amount of listeners from there, but we do have a, a consistently small amount, yeah. which I quite like. <laughs> and it's quite strange like we've we've always had i think from the first week we were like oh okay yeah we've got yeah. this you know england obviously and then like i've got family in australia so that that's like okay fair enough and then we were like oh mm-hmm. gibraltar that's a weird place that's yeah. just taking interest <laughs> but okay so we thought we'd you know thank you by doing an episode yeah and somewhere we don't know that much about but yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we. I I struggled with this episode in terms of the research, um, trying to find somebody, mm-hmm. um, and I ended up delving into an area I knew very little about. So, <laughs> I think I'm gonna go first. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, bit of backstory then about Gibraltar mm-hmm. or a bit of information. So it's at the very bottom of Spain. Yes. Yeah. Or the top of Africa, depending on how you look at it. They are owned by the British. So it's yes, very, very this. small. Yeah, it's very, very small. The area is 2.6 square miles. I, that sounds small. That is tiny. Wait, 2.6 um, square miles? My God, that's really small. Yeah. To which I'm like, maybe I don't have the research right, but that came up consistently. It has a population of about 30,000. I say about because there was a lot of conflicting stats. So, But there was an article from 2020 that said 30,000, so that's mm-hmm. much recent. Um, and it's the fifth most populated country. I feel so honoured that we have listeners. I know, from such a small place. With that small place. of a population. I know. They have their own language there. Ooh. So I th- What is it called? So I, I think, judging by... Because it's like Spanish influence and it begins with a double L. So it'd be called uh, Yanito, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. And it's very much like a mix between Spanish and English. But it also has like Portuguese Ooh. and Maltese words thrown in. Nice. Yeah. Um, but it's sometimes impossible for people who like exclusively speak English or exclusively speak Spanish to understand what they're saying because there's so much like oh, back yeah. and forth between the two languages. Mm-hmm. So there are no rivers or streams. But how do they get water? It's all it's all gathered rainwater because the rain comes down this cliff side and then gathers in an underground reservoir and that's where they get all their water from. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. And I. What a strange place. It's a, oh, yeah, and I think that the rock that it, it flows down is called the rock, which is the rock of Gibraltar, um, <laughs> which is huge, and it's like the main part of the, kind of the country um, oh. that's there. Um, and it's also, like, look up pictures, because it's really, really beautiful. They were also, this is all just, like, facts, by the way. They were also, <laughs> obviously, because they are British citizens, technically, they're allowed to vote mm-hmm. in kind of British like votes, obviously. So they ended up, they did vote in the European Union referendum. That's very odd. So are they now, along with us, no longer in the EU? Well, it's a little bit unsure. I mean, to be fair, it's a bit unsure at the moment what, what the U- UK are doing, to be fair. True. True. Um, but they had, so I think it was like, I don't write this down, but I think it's like 80-something percent turnout which is very high and of that 96 percent mm-hmm. of people voted remain 
Oh my goodness. I like the Gibraltar. I, I know. I was in this and I was like, I want to go. <laughs> and they kind of, I, I didn't write this down either, but there was a lot of like back and forth between whether they would be governed by the British or whether they'd be governed by the Spanish because obviously where they are and mm-hmm. like the people that live there and stuff. And I think they came to an agreement, kind of, but everything was... Didn't they have referendums? I didn't write about that. I didn't see that. Do you oh. know about that one, though? I saw two. I'm sure they had two referendums. I think one was about 2002. Mm-hmm. One was a bit after. And they voted to not have, not be part of Spain, to remain in the UK. Ah, that will explain why they, they, they the agreement was kind of just almost shared, but Spain would have less to do, mm. which is weird. I don't know, just, yeah, weird. It is a self-governed uh, country, but it, obviously it's under British rule, so it's ruled by our queen as well. But she has, like, I think a spokesperson who, like, remains in the country, so nice. that's cool. Are they a separate category in Eurovision, like a separate country? I don't know. I hope so. I'm Googling. I th- Yes, I'm Googling. I think so, because... um, So, right. Did I ever show you the picture of my sister's birthday cake from, like, two years ago? I don't think so. No? So, we have a kind of... It's not really a tradition, but it's like... So, we... In my family, we come up with a weird, like, interest, and we make a cake relating to that interest. Mm -hmm. So, if you've ever seen, like, a birthday cake that I've received from my mum or my sister then they're pretty... Yeah, you had one with a fridge. Yeah, they're, they're pretty weird. So we did one for my sister, and it was Eurovision-related, and so me and my mum spent two whole days colouring in flags from the different countries of Eurovision and then sticking them into a top of a cake. <laughs> it took hours. We got I got very excited about it because I'm really into flags. Uh, I think my mum was less excited about it. And this was a really good segue in order for me to Google. And no, I don't think they compete. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they do either. No. Wait, were the flags edible? No, they were on, like, stickers. Oh. Um, but we, they were, like, teeny tiny. They took a long, long time. We still have some of the flags. But yeah. That's <laughs> quite Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Little segue. <laughs> but no, they do not compete. So, and they also, they crown their beauty queens inside a cave. Interesting. Called... Upper St. Michael's Cave, which is a lovely segue into my lengthy explanation (laughs) of beauty pageants, which is linked then to the person that I have done. So, Mm -hmm. you've heard of beauty pageants, I assume you know a little bit about them. Yes, I know um, a bit about Miss World. I watched, what's it called, that Kira Knightley film. Miss Behaviour. Miss Behaviour recently. That was wonderful. Me too, it was great. That was going to be my recommendation for this, this episode, but... I'll, I'll shoot it in now. That... It can still be. It can okay, still I'll, I'll, I'll say it. <laughs> so, well, Miss, uh, well, Gibraltar obviously has a representative from there as well, Miss Gibraltar. And like most... But they're not in Eurovision. No. <laughs> Disgraceful. I know. You should write and complain. I mean, no one's in Eurovision this year, so it's okay. True. So, and like all the winners, I think, if not most of the winners, if you win for your mm-hmm. country, you then go on to represent, well, represent your country at Miss World, mm-hmm. right? So the first Miss Gibraltar was held in 1959, which is kind of late-ish, and it was organised by Vox newspaper, and it was won by a woman who is called Viola Abadaram, mm-hmm. but um, she was married at the time. Is that controversial? It is. I didn't know this. So you have to be a Miss in order to compete. Oh, yeah, because you can't be a Mrs. World, because that implies you're married to the world. I mean, yes. I mean, saying <laughs> Miss implies that your family lineage is of 
Well, I suppose they are of the country. That does make sense, actually. But yeah, the new rules stipulate that you can't be married, separated, divorced. Goodness. I don't know about engaged, but I, I assume that's frowned upon as well, because why not? So, but then after that, they didn't actually hold another Miss Gibraltar for like five years, four or five years, which mm. I googled and I couldn't find any information about why it was held off. But I assume from what I read that it was because just people didn't want to enter. So they just didn't hold it. I mean, I guess if you reach the top, why consider anything less? Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, but obviously then it did come back. And so in 1964, it was picked up again by the Gibraltar Broadcasting Corporation. A guy called Roger Pike produced and directed it for a couple of years uh, to kind of, you know, get it going back into motion. And then it changed hands a lot to like different producers after that, but I didn't write down their names because they're not really important in this story. Mm-hmm. So at the time, well, in the show, there's also usually an international kind of star that comes and does like a little bit of a thing mm-hmm. of celebration. So Mr. Gibraltar had top Spanish guitarist Paco de Lucha, who went over to perform, also Maria um, Jimenez, and also Rolf Harris. Nice. Odd bunch. Yeah. And the others, but I thought they were quite notable. They also mm. had uh, a few complications over the time, such as in... Really? No, well, yes, no, competition is, is a competition without complications. So in 1978, mm-hmm. only three girls signed up to compete. Goodness. Very small. I think so small they weren't allowed to hold the competition with that so few people. So they were very, very close to cancelling that year until three other girls oh. just just signed up last minute simply because they didn't want it to be cancelled. I know. Very, nice. very considerate. In uh, 1981 as well, there was another. There was a Miss Gibraltar who had won. Her name was Yvette Badia, Bayido, I think her name was. And she was set to go on mm-hmm. and represent her country at the Miss World. But she st- just stepped down. Oh. She just decided she didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. They were like, oh, well, yikes. So it was uh, handed to First Princess, which was obviously the woman who came in second place, who was called Pilar Ford. And then when she was in Morocco representing Gibraltar, she just stepped down too. Oh. Yeah. So not so much of a fighting second... spirit. <laughs> no. They're just like, oh, we've got this fight. It's fine. You know what? We're just proud anyway. Um, so it got handed then to the mm. second princess who did go, uh, who's called Michelle Lara, who did go on and compete. And she did win an award for friendship. So it's obviously still a thing. The competition is now. And a huge thing as to kind of who represents their country you know, in front of an international stage. I was reading a lot of this information from the Miss Gibraltar website, so they could be kind of biased, mm-hmm. but huge. Like, thousands of people tune in to watch it when it's on. So, oh. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to 2009. Mm-hmm. At the 59th mm-hmm. World Miss World, the 12th of December, uh, specifically, and where, then, where they had 112 com- uh, contestants from around the world. That's a big increase. Big number, yeah. That mm-hmm. was the biggest, I think, that it had ever seen before and that I think has seen since. So they were all gathered in Johannesburg in South Africa to compete for the crown of Miss World. And then we are going to specifically look at obviously Miss Gibraltar from that year, who was called, I think her name is pronounced Kian, but I'm not 100% mm-hmm. sure because when I tried to find out pronunciation of her name, they just called her Gibraltar. They didn't use her name. Oh. <laughs> so, Kian Luis Aldora, Aldorino. So, she was born on the mm. 8th of July, 1989. 
She was born and raised mm-hmm. in Gibraltar. She spoke both English and Spanish, like most Gibraltarians do. And she became mm-hmm. she began dancing when she was 14 in an urban dance group. Nice. And then in 2008, so the year before she attended um, Miss World, uh, she competed for the International Dance Championship. Mm-hmm. And they came 17th, her group did, and they were the first Gibraltarian team to uh, ever actually pass the first round. So, very, very good. Nice. Yeah. She was crowned Miss Gibraltar on the 27th of then June in 2009. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, went to South Africa in order to compete in Miss World. I tried to find information about, kind of, you know, what she did there, if there was anything notable. But because there wasn't a scandal attached to her, not a lot is mentioned of the same year i think somebody was being you know almost arrested for tax fraud and also somebody broke their ankle so that was more in the headlines than the actual winner which is yeah um weird yeah she did though um win mitch miss beach beauty nice yeah which automatically lands her in a semi-final spot. There is so much information about these competitions, which <laughs> I had no idea about. Because it, it notes she was like, she won, uh, you know, Miss Beach Beauty. And I was like, great. That's, you know, mm. wonderful. And then uh, I was looking at another article about the rules of Miss World. And it was like, if you do this, it means you automatically land yourself in a semi-final spot. I was like, does it? That's right. Okay. So, after landing that, she then went on to win. Nice. Yeah, she was obviously the first Miss Gibraltar to do so. And mm-hmm. when she won, all of Gibraltar burst into celebration. Oh, fireworks got set nice. off. I know. The chief minister of Gibraltar, who was called Peter Caruana, I think his name is pronounced, was uh, said that mm-hmm. it was a wonderful achievement for her and for Gibraltar and that we will be giving her a homecoming fit for a queen. Oh, yeah. that's nice. I know. The homecoming, which included being flown to Gibraltar on a private jet, and then uh, a few days after the competition, she was greeted by her friends and family and the government. Nice. Yeah. She was paraded down Main Street in an open-topped car, the same one that was used by Charles and Diana while they visited, which was <laughs> came up a lot in different articles, so it must have been pretty like expensive Big car, yeah. Um, they were preceded by a band, which I think was actually like the national band, and then nice. they arrived at the City Hall balcony. Mm. Then there was a huge firework display in the harbour. <laughs> she was on stamps. Oh my goodness. And they, what an honour. I'd love to have my face on a stamp. <laughs> I think that'd be like, yes. And then also they requested that, I think the day or the day after she either won or came home, it was a bit unclear, all companies closed between 4pm and 6pm so that the staff could celebrate as they wanted. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, bloody hell. Wait, I don't think, like, other than, you know, the basics, I don't really know much about UK's kind of involvement in the Miss World competitions but Gibraltar no, me went hard. So in 2010 the year after obviously she uh, was then a guest judge at the Mr. World which I didn't realise was a thing. Mr. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In uh, 2010 which was in South Korea and during her reign which I think is then like the year that she has the crown she travelled to 40 countries or over. Whoa. Yeah. And then on the 7th of July 2011 she was awarded the Freedom of the City of Gibraltar, which to de- which deemed her the most valued member of the community. Oh, wow. She was the first woman to ever, 
achieve, uh, received this. She nice. was also awarded the Gibraltar Medallion of Honour by unanimous vote. <laughs> and then in 2014, uh, March, she was actually appointed as Deputy Mayor of Gibraltar. Crazy. And in 2017, she became the mayor. Oh my god. Yeah. Amazing. What a way to start your political career. I know. Unfortunately, she did obviously have to step down once she'd served, do you still call it a term? If you're a mayor? I have no idea. Okay, she she served kind of her time, which was two years, and so then in 2019 she was then succeeded by um, a guy called John. But yeah, still going. There's a lot of pictures of her standing behind the podium looking very professional, so hoping the uh, political career continues. (laughs) And that was um, my person, (laughs) with a lot of other information, because there was very little about, Mm. about her... But yeah, I rattled through really that really, really quickly. <laughs> yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Do you feel like you understand the Miss World competitions better now? A little bit. A little bit. Good. I'm glad. I feel like mm. I understand them less somehow. <laughs> I mean, they just seem like so many layers. They're like onions. Yeah, I know what you mean. A turning. But then what's in the middle of an onion? I don't know. More onion. More onion. It's actually got a name, exactly. the middle of an onion does, doesn't it? Because that's the bit which... Um, does it? Re- yeah, releases most of the stuff that makes you cry. Oh. Yeah. Is it the head? Head of the onion? It no, might be. Or like the heart of the onion or something like that. The heart of the onion. Like an artichoke has a heart. Do they? I think. You want to... Yeah. We could be so wrong about they this. Have a, they have a heart of choke. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Shall we have a break? Yeah. <laughs> and we'll come back with part two. Hey, Christy, what do we talk about on our podcast? Well, Ashley, we talk about all kinds of weird stuff. Like aliens. And ghosts. And cults. And cryptids. And witches. And murders. Yeah, even sometimes murders. Basically, we talk about all kinds of weird shit. Oh, I already said that. Oh. So yeah, if you like weird topics, feminist rants, and the occasional F-bomb, you should listen to us. We post new episodes every other Monday. Find us online at thatsweird.org. And subscribe to That's Weird on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. Welcome back. (laughs) So who have you done this episode? So I have Dawn. She is called Charlotte Lennox. Okay. Oh, well, her maiden name is Ramsey, so Charlotte Ramsey. She, it's it's odd because she's only connected to Gibraltar by birth. She was just born there, which I feel... That's still connected. It's still connected, so I thought it was okay. So she's, she's considered a Scottish author and poet, even though she's from Gibraltar. And in the research, Where are... she was never cited as being in Scotland, which threw me. So just a lot of this research just did not add up. And it really bothered me. Because okay. <laughs> some of it was just simple math. They got wrong. And then I tried to find so many sources, but there was just nothing. It was all the same thing on the same, like, the same exact words that someone had taken from somewhere and just regurgitated. Just copy and pasted. Yeah. yeah. So she she's mostly remembered for her book, The Female Quixote. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in, like, Don Quixote? Yes. Okay. And it also says her association with Samuel Johnson, who is the, the dictionary guy. He invented oh. the dictionary. But she was a writer on okay. her own anyway, so... She helped write the dictionary? No, she's just cited as being, like, an association with him, and that's why she's famous, even though she wrote multiple things. It annoyed me. Uh, yeah, her association with a guy is, is how she's actually known, not her own work, obviously. Yeah. But she she wrote her poetry, prose, and drama. And nice. her father was James Ramsey of Dalhousie. 
Halsey. Oh wait, he was Scottish. That's how that's how the Scottish connects him. If he's like of, yeah, that's quite. Yeah. So he was a uh, Scottish, Scottish captain in the British Army. Mm-hmm. Which, if you've seen Outlander, this isn't that far after. I haven't seen Outlander because they have like the the war with the dragoons, the English dragoons, and so the fact that he's a British no. Army. That's he's going again to Scottish heritage here. Awful. Oh, awful, yeah. He sided with the enemy. I mean, aren't we the enemy in this conversation? Like, Yeah. He sided with the British. (laughs) And then her mother, it was called Catherine, and she was Scottish and Irish. That's also where the Scottish come from. Okay. So she was baptised Barbara Charlotte Ramsey, and basically not very much is known about her before she became, like, famous for the time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of her novels are thought to be sort of autobiographical, so they've just taken some things from them and said that's what happened in her life so i'm not entirely sure how credible that is that seems a bit problematic but yes i'll accept someone needs to do better research on this if i knew how i would yeah <laughs> there was i know there were so many moments in my research i was like if i still had access to library resources Literally. this would be so much easier mm-hmm. <laughs> i know fund your library people mm-hmm. fund your library so this is another thing that didn't make sense so she was born in 1730, but it says she lived the first 10 years of her life in England. But then it says in 1738, she moved to Albany, New York, which she would be eight then, not 10. Okay. Terrible man. Everybody's born at minus two in Scotland, don't you know that? She was born in Gibraltar. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, then it definitely doesn't make sense. Exactly. What? But So her father was a lieutenant governor in New York, but then mm-hmm. he died in 1742. Oh. So her and her mother stayed in New York for a few years. And it's thought that... Cause when she was there, it was obviously before America became America. It was pre, like, the USA, which is was weird to think oh, about. Oh, that's strange to think. But it says the the sort of shock that she got from life in the colonies was an inspiration for her first and last novel. Mm-hmm. So her first novel is about, to be fair, I couldn't find what it was actually about which annoyed me even more. Mm-hmm. But it's basically, it's one of, it's classed as one of the first British novels to be partially set in America. Oh my gosh, that feels like it would be more, like her name would be more known. Yeah. it's ridiculous. There wasn't even like a Wikipedia page for her books. I'm just like, how? I literally had to That's find annoying. it on Amazon where they didn't actually sell it anymore, but they just had the plot vaguely on it. I was being so mad because I want to read it. (laughs) But the the book is, apparently it's an innovative use of the captivity narrative. Right. I don't quite know how because there wasn't much information. (laughs) And it was also classed as a vehicle for social criticism. Ooh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on board. And then her last book called uh, Euphemia was an account of pre-revolutionary America from a woman's perspective. And it's all written yes. in letters. So it's epistolary. Epistolary Ooh. little novel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So back to her being a child. So from at age 13, she was sent over to England to, to be the companion of her, her mother's sister, Mary Locking. But then... You could just say on. I could just, yeah, that was a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. But then when she got there, she found that her guardian had become deranged because her son had died and her, her, her husband had died and she kind of lost a bit. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. But I do like the idea of just turning up somewhere and just being like, oh, shit. I mean, it's a bit <laughs> odd for your mum to just send you across the ocean at 13. She's like, go be with your aunt. <laughs> <laughs> you know you haven't called your aunt in a few days, yeah? Do you want to go and live with her? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, because the position wasn't available, 
She instead became the companion to Lady Isabella Finch, who she'd heard of. I'm not sure if she knew of Charlotte through her writing or she somehow find her, found her writing and then became interested because somehow she caught attention by reading her writing. Okay. So she she published her first volume of poetry in uh, 1747. She was 17. Oh my gosh. Yep. Well, according to which account, but still. It, it was called Poems on Several Occasions. Nice. A poem for several yep. occasions. And it, it was yeah. dedicated to Lady Isabella. And mm-hmm. the themes are partly centred on female friendship and independence. Oh, now I want to read exactly. them. Exactly. <laughs> oh, are they available online or are they like... We know that she did write them but uh, they have been to be lost. fair i didn't look for the poems so maybe they are mm-hmm. but i'm not quite sure i shall have a look after so she was starting to prepare herself for a position at court which i don't oh. isn't it just like the english court where they all just sit around and talk like uh, yeah that kind of court like you become a person don't you when you attend yes court. and you have your debut yeah i think but this was forestalled by her marriage to Alexander Lennox, hence oh, where the name comes okay. from. And he seems absolutely unimportant, to be honest. Nice. Um, so not much is known about him at all, other than he apparently was employed in the customs office from like wow. 1773 to 82. But this was partly because of who he'd married and it was considered as a reward to his wife, which doesn't make any sense. No, but I... And then there's the other bit that he's known for is he claimed to be the proper heir to the Earl of Lennox. Okay, but he claims that, so I'm just going to discount it. Yeah, but the House of Lords yeah. <laughs> rejected it on claims of bastardy. Or has Charlotte said, birth misfortunes? Oh, he was like, yeah. I'm heir to a fortune. And everyone was like, no, you're not, mate. Sit down. <laughs> Your dad just likes to sleep around. Sit uh-huh. down. So that's pretty much it from him. So also at 17, she started acting as well. It's going back a bit. So she she took on her first public role, which Horace Walpole, if um, you remember him from The Castle of Otranto, the mm-hmm. author, mm-hmm. described the performance as deplorable. But, you know, he wrote about a hat falling from space. So he can shut up. I mean... <laughs> Oh my god, I didn't pay much attention to that novel. That was the novel that I decided not to attend the seminar So did 80% of the students. And yet it was me (laughs) that was criticised. Yeah, I'm sure Walpole was, you know, cracking guy to be uh, acquainted with, but um, Mm -hmm. not somebody who I enjoy his literature of. But I said that her dramas had varying popularity, and some of them had social issues of politics and gender, which sounds fun. Cool, yeah. Um, (laughs) which sounds fun yeah but then after her poems were published she kind of stepped away from acting a bit and focused more on writing but she did still act a little bit so she she did a Mm -hmm. production of the morning bride in 1750 and she morning as in like in morning or morning as in good morning in morning oh yeah and then it says in the latter year don't know which year it's talking about but the latter one obviously (laughs) she published what considered her most successful poem which is the art of coquetry right coquetry. i have no idea how you pronounce that word and it was <laughs> published in gentleman's magazine i know ridiculous mm. and so around this time she met samuel johnson dictionary dude and he held her at quite high regard so when her first novel the life of harriet stewart which was the one partially set in america and being the first novel 
Johnson threw a lavish party for her. And it says, with a laurel wreath and an apple pie that contained bay leaf. How lovely. Yeah. I don't quite know the significance. Such a supportive friend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's something, yeah. Yeah. And so Johnson thought she was superior to his other female literary friends. Interesting. It was because she didn't write anonymously where some of the others did. But Uh even though some of her work was written anonymously... So I don't quite know how that works. See, there's so much contradicting stuff. I feel like most of this information you've been like, it is this, although there was someone who claimed it was not this. But it was this, although there was someone who claimed that it wasn't this. But he made sure that she was introduced to all the important members of the London literary scene. Nice. But the women of Johnson's circle didn't really like her. If she was being introduced as his favourite of his female friends, I think I would dislike her too. Like, I'd be like, why are we pitting us against one another here? Like, why why is it it competition? Some of the members are Hester Thrale, Elizabeth Carter, Mm -hmm. and you might remember from a previous episode, Lady Mary Wortley Montague. Yes, Chloe did an episode on. She did, yeah. Um, And all these were members of the Blue Stocking Society, which Mm -hmm. is a society that focuses on, I think it's women's education and independence. But they they faulted her for her housekeeping. She had apparently a very unpleasant personality and a bad temper. (laughs) It's not a nice combination, that is not. No. So her next book was The Female Coyote, or The Adventures Mm -hmm. of Arabella. I prefer... (laughs) The female Quixote. Yeah, it is based on the Don Quixote, but considered mm-hmm. from the female protagonist's point of view. Okay. It is considered her most successful novel. And so Samuel Johnson mm-hmm. and someone called Samuel Richardson, who is a writer and a printer. So obviously they know everything. Cool. And they approved of the novel. <laughs> just, I love, I love that they just had to approve of the novel. Like they read it and they were like, oh yeah, this is a novel. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, Henry Fielding also praised it. And it was, there's a lot about how it was translated. It was translated into German, French, Spanish... All through, like, the 1700s and 1800s. Wow. So it inverts, like, Don Quixote. So in Don Quixote, I think Don mistakes himself for a knightly hero of a romance. Because it's very self-aware. And so in this Mm -hmm. one, Arabella mistakes herself for the maiden love of a romance. Okay. Um, And so where Don thinks it's to praise, like, platonically pure damsels he meets, Arabella then believes it's her power to kill with a will look and that her lovers have a duty to suffer ordeals on her behalf. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And um, this is what was considered, it was officially anonymous when she published it, but it was kind of technically, Mm -hmm. it was sort of an open secret that she wrote it. Okay, like when J.K. Rowling tried to do that, like, yeah, but it didn't really work. Yeah, Yeah. like even her other books were like, the the author of The Female Quixote... (laughs) On the front of them. Imagine she, she didn't approve that being put on it, but her publisher was just like, it's going to sell loads. She's like, yeah, but the whole point <laughs> is that nobody knows. But it was, finally, her name was put on it after she died. Oh, which okay. is a And a, tra- a Spanish translator mm. of it said, 
it was written in English by an unknown and then in Spanish by him. <laughs> oh, that, oh, it half bothers me because it's like she obviously didn't want it to be known that she had written it. So at least he had kind of carried out her wishes that way. But then I don't think it was for that reason. Yeah. Somehow. But in the, the preface to the, the novel, um, she, I think, well, it says de Casal Casada. I think maybe a character, I'm not quite sure. I should have researched more John Creator stuff. Oh well. They warn the, the reader that the text might be of questionable quality. Because it says, because she quoted, as good British texts were only written by Fielding and Richardson. Hence, like, she was right. friends with both of these people. So I'm hoping she means this as a joke. Oh, um, okay. I hope. But I still don't quite know. Yeah. And then she kind of got into translating for a bit. Nice. Um, so a Italian, I think he was a poet and writer called Joseph Baretti, taught her Italian. Mm-hmm. And several people helped her to translate the Greek theatre of Father Brumoy, which is considered the most influential French study of Greek tragedy in the mid-18th century. Okay. <laughs> she translated some memoirs of Maximilian de Boothen. And then when she was learning all these languages, she suddenly took an interest in the sources for William Shakespeare's plays. Ooh. And um, okay. she wrote the first two volumes of Shakespeare Illustrated, and it is, which was in 1753. And it's considered by many scholars as the first feminist work of literary criticism. Amazing. I know. And she sort of, I mean, like a lot of men didn't like it because she was basically saying... Shocker. The sources of Shakespeare are a lot better than actually Shakespeare is. Huh, interesting. <laughs> and so people are like, okay. how can you criticise Shakespeare? It's Shakespeare. <laughs> really easily. Yeah. Really easily. And she, she, I think she looked at specifically the romance tradition that he drew upon. And he, she said that her main criticism is that the play strips female characters of their original authority. And to quote her, taking from them the power and the moral independence which the old romances and novels had given them. Yes! <laughs> so Samuel jo- Johnson wrote the dedication for this, but a lot of people didn't like it. It just upsets me that like they couldn't have pulled their head out of their ass for like five minutes. I reckon if a guy had written it, they'd have been like, oh, how mm-hmm. in- you know insightful. Yeah, mm. and this kind of ruined her reputation a little bit. So she was kind of protected by Johnson's patronage, and he would like okay. continue to say that she's worthy of being printed and like a place in the literary world. Okay. So she wrote. So she wrote a play called the the sister, which her third novel Henrietta was based upon and so Mm -hmm. because Johnson was so like highly praising her they arranged Mm -hmm. so the the attendees of the concert booed the play off stage when it was first shown on its opening night as like revenge for her writing about Shakespeare oh my gosh I mean that's taking petty to a new level yeah which is insane like did they even like watch it or did they just like they just contextually they just like, they went there for the purpose. Yeah, they, like, arranged before to just boo it off stage. And that was on its opening oh night as God. well. And it, it did get, some, like, more editions uh, in print, but I'm not sure if it was ever on stage again. How awful. How awful as well for, like, the people in it. I know, it's, they didn't do anything. Neither did she. She just wrote literary no, criticism. She just... Can you imagine if people were that yeah. ridiculous now? <laughs> There'd be so much, I'd, like... Some people are, to be fair. Yeah, they are. But her third novel, Henrietta, which the play was based on, didn't sell well at all she didn't get any money from it and then from 
1760 to 61, she wrote for the periodical The Ladies' Museum. And so the stuff that she wrote from that ended up becoming her novel in 1762 called Sophia. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Her last book was published in 1790, which is the one called Euphema, which I mentioned at the start, where it's a pistillary novel, partly in America. It's set Mm -hmm. in New York State before the American Revolution. Okay. And it didn't have much success. And it says that's because the public's interest in novels of romance seemed to have died down a bit during this time, but I don't know. I... Okay. I don't know enough about, like, ebbs and flows of genre interest of the time, but romance seems to be one that I I wouldn't have thought that would have gone away. I don't know if they mean romance as in, like, the romantic genre, not, like, romance. I can't... (laughs) You know, like... um... Oh, I know... Like romanticism. romanticism. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. The, yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes more sense, actually. That, that, yeah, okay. <laughs> Retract my statement. <laughs> to be fair, I was thinking the whole time that it's romance is in love the whole time and not yeah, romanticism. It's not, it's like... So she had two children who survived infancy, which was Harriet Holes Lennox and George mm-hmm. Louis Lennox and she was estranged from her husband for many years and they finally separated in 1793. Oh whoa that was forward of the time wasn't it? And so she spent the rest of her life in um, it says solitary pedery which meant which I googled is like solitary isolation no um desolation pretty much so she was like really poor and she was reliant on the support of the literary fund which is oh. I think something. It's a. It's now called the Royal Literary Fund, and it was set up to help publish British writers in financial difficulties. I didn't realize that was a thing. Me That's neither. Cool. I'm not sure if it's still going. Yeah, that'd be interesting to. But it was that. founded in 1790. Okay. And then she died on the 4th of January 1804 in London, and she was buried in an unmarked grave at Broadcourt Cemetery. Oh, so that makes her how old? That's quite old. 74. That's quite yeah, old for the time. But in the 20th century, a lot of feminist scholars were like looked back at her work and were mm-hmm. finally praising her for a skill and inventiveness the stuff she was doing but still she's not well known enough in my opinion i said i i hadn't heard no. of her before i've heard of mary lennox i don't know who that is is it the murderer who was a child what? <laughs> i should have googled who mary lennox is because I've been thinking about it the whole time I was doing the research. Okay. It's from The Secret Garden, never mind. It's the main character in The Secret Garden. I say, Mary Bell is the the child murderer. I was close. Uh, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The research on this really mm-hmm. bothered me. Because it's so inconsistent. Yeah. And so poorly done. But you did a good job. Like, it still seems in a, a narrative, let me see, it's like an order. Thank you. I tried. You did good. So that was Charlotte Lennon. Well done. She was good. I mean, there wasn't... I'm actually really excited to, like, look up things that she's written and read them Yeah, now. me too. She wasn't really Gibraltar, but I just thought she was quite an interesting person, so... <laughs> Sorry! <laughs> I think mine was too, too, like, too much in the other way. You were like... I'll take this little detail and I'll swing with it. Whereas I was like, right, she has to represent the country. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you have any recommendations? So my recommendation is a film misbehaviour. I never said it earlier. Brand new. Yeah, what? Yeah, I say. So it's a really cool film, right? I know you have never heard of it. But yeah, that's my recommendation. It's about beauty pageants. Well, a beauty pageant in in particular, the nineteen seventy one, because there was a lot of lot of stuff going on there. 
and so they couldn't they did it all in a film yeah. oh and also really really quickly I'm probably going to pronounce her name wrong but I'm reading a book at the moment and I'm loving it it's called Girl Woman Other ooh what's that about have you heard ooh. of it by Bernadine Evaristo um, and it's fantastic mm. like go and find it I will I urge you it's brilliant <laughs> It's about, I think it's, it's like, so each chapter almost is separated. It's about a different woman mm-hmm. and her life, basically. But then there's, like, three women are kind of then linked under a chapter, if that makes any mm. sense. So it's, like, these three women, and they all exist within different times, but they all intermingle. So the one I'm on at the moment, I'm about, what, like, 150 pages through. So th- this chapter is about three women who live in the same, who are, exist in the same family, but they all obviously, like, one's the mother, mm-hmm. so she has very different outlooks as to her daughter. Like, different time. Honestly, it's, pretty, it's beautifully written. Um, I'll try so, yeah. to find it. As well. Yes. Mm. I think we should all go and find Charlotte Lennox writings and read it. <laughs> she, she's your recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, that's my recommendation. Nice good one as well i'm very very excited i just kept going why does no one know about her i mean there is a reason there is it's a sad reason but i am i don't know i really enjoy that we live in a time when people are like going out the way to like find these these people from history who were ignored or overlooked for you know the different reasons and kind of bring them back and being like, okay, they weren't appreciated then, mm. but can we appreciate them now? We'd be so, really screwed without that. the internet. Like, our whole podcast. <laughs> oh, we wouldn't have a podcast without the internet. <laughs> no. Yeah. We'd never find all these wonderful people. No, we wouldn't. Yeah. We need a sign-off. This is going to be our new sign-off. We do. We need one. <laughs> Just watch a long pause. Yeah. So, thank you for listening. Au revoir. And, uh... We should have yep. found out what goodbye was in Gibraltar. Gibraltish? No. Wait, they don't have a language, do they? I mean, yes. <laughs> they do. I mean, the mixed one. Oh, the Spanish English. Yeah. I don't think. No, but I mean, you can just say, like, goodbye in Spanish. You do that then. I don't know Spanish. Adios. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hasta luego. And we shall see you next time.